Man, it is great to actually see you face to face. Mike Lynn, you don't have to salute. It's okay. <laughs> this side, you're going to have it a little rough for a little bit, but uh, uh, good for this side for getting here early to get your good seats, right? Okay, fantastic work. Man, it is so great to see you guys. Uh, I, I have been so, um, I don't know what the word, maybe disturbed would be the word. Many of you have known I've been disturbed for years, but every Sunday that I've been here for the past four weeks, we've had that smoke alert. And so uh, I, I haven't been able to see you face to face. It's so good to be gathered together. Is it not? That's a that's a that's pandering to the crowd, but I will pander all I want without uh, without any reservations tonight. Turn in your scriptures to Matthew five. We're continuing on again in the series. Let it rain. And so what is this series? Let it rain. It is a quote from the end of this chapter where Jesus says, talking about his father, that he makes it rain on the just and the unjust. And prayerfully, uh, I went about in uh, mid-June asking the Lord to reveal what will feed our body in their greatest need right now. How is it that we can uh, equip our church to understand what's happening all around them in the culture? And the Lord led me to the Beatitudes. And I have to tell you that tonight, is probably the most spot-on, pinpoint passage for what we're experiencing as a culture and society right now. And so uh, I did not choose, I did not go seeking for this passage. It just fell in line with what the Lord has in this series. And the title is, It's the Law. It's the law. And I know that I, I, Brad is trying to contain himself right now. He's so excited uh, about this. If you're visiting, Brad is our, our, uh, our lawyer um, friend. That's what we call you, our lawyer friend. <laughs> so it's interesting as, as I prepared to do this, we're going to look at the text and we're going to break down the text. We're going to see exactly why Jesus was saying what he was saying. Then what we're going to attempt to do is say, how is that relevant to informing us about living life right now? And so much of the time I, I hear from individuals that it's so difficult to understand how this, the Bible, relates to my life and the world around me right now. I just want to share with you, if I fail to make that connection for you tonight, then I probably should go to work at Walmart or uh, for the city or move into some other line of thinking because this is just such a, a specific and clear passage and what the Lord has prepared for you to hear tonight will most certainly inform you as how to respond to all that's going on around you in this world, okay? But I thought before we get going, we would relate a little bit. There's all different kinds of laws. Um, you know, there's laws that help us operate with civility and justice for all. Uh, there are laws that need to be changed because they're imperfect in their quality. 
then there's laws that should be obsolete because they're just stupid. <laughs> they're just ridiculous laws, right? Um, we're not talking about the law that says that you get a ticket for speeding. I'm sure when you've been pulled over, you feel like that's a ridiculous law. I'm thinking more in terms of these are really specific, actual laws in the state of California right now. I just want you to brace yourselves because you may not have been aware of this. And when I get done sharing these 10 unique laws in the state of California, you're gonna be much more informed than you were before you arrived. Number one, women, all you gals out there, here you go, this is for you. Women are not allowed to drive a motor vehicle while wearing a houseboat. What? Just want you to be aware of that. That's law in the state of California, okay? Uh, two, does anybody need clarification on that law? Yeah. Yeah, yeah who doesn't? It's a law. <laughs> Two, it is illegal to hunt any game while in a moving vehicle except whaling. However, whaling is also illegal. It's a law. All right, number three, no vehicle without a driver may exceed 60 miles an hour. <laughs> but, 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 what's that mean for self-driving cars, right? And, and if you go to give a self-driving ticket to a, or a, a ticket to a self-driving car, who gets the ticket? Who's supposed to show up in court? All right, in Eureka, <laughs> in Eureka, men with, <laughs> Annie, don't move to Eureka. In Eureka, men with mustaches cannot kiss a woman. A local razor company must have been ecstatic when this came out as a law. All right, in San Francisco, okay, not to outdo Eureka. We, we know there's got to be some unique law there for San Francisco. I, I haven't even read this one, so I'm going to be as shocked or elated as you are. In San Francisco, it is illegal to have a pet bear, gorilla, crocodile, or any other wild animal. It's already state law, so it looks like San Francisco needed to be extra clear about it. So uh, now you know the, the, the law, the ridiculous law. Uh, got a couple more. Let me, uh, well, let's just, let's just hold off on that to make the point. There are some laws that are in place, and there were even laws in, uh, in the Jewish law that we're going to hear a lot about tonight. Uh, that if your neighbor's donkey fell in your ditch, but it was on the Sabbath, you had to feed that donkey for a week. And if that donkey died, you had to pay it back with two camels and a Tesla and a bottle of hummus. Okay, I mean, was, you're not buying that one, right? But it, it's, it's to that kind of minutia that some of the tort laws that are listed in Leviticus and Deuteronomy that the law, when we look at what Jesus is talking about, had some really interesting, crazy little nuances. But it was God's economy, and he set that law in place. So let's look real quickly at some questions. How does these ideas of the law, you know, laws that help us operate with civility and justice for all, laws that need to be changed because they're imperfect in their quality, or just ridiculous laws, how does this relate to what Jesus shares with those who were gathered on that hillside above the Galilee that night? 
How does Jesus change the law? This is what we're looking at tonight. And obviously, with all that's going on around us, the reason we have to be outside, the reason we're meeting tonight, um, you know, some of the future thinking and what churches have been experiencing in small businesses and schools, and God bless you parents that are having to teach your kids at home. Um, all those things that have been mandated to us that so many people look at and say, well, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And yet a whole other group of people look at and say, this is insanity. And that's our culture right now, is it not? And so how do we navigate that? How do we deal with it? And many of you are aware that you've heard so many rumors, spurious accusations, things that people are just taking as gospel truth, or we want to challenge all of these other areas because we just think it's unfair. So how can that be really the law? How can the governor have this kind of power? How can the health department be able to unilaterally rule over, you know, X amount of people? There's so much confusion and challenge. Let me say this on the outset because we're going to use that as an illustration tonight. I just encourage us. There's a lot of rhetoric out there concerning the church and that there is particular persecution against the church. I would encourage you all, unless you have a conversation with the individual that is, or individuals that are in charge of these decisions to withhold comments to the plus or minus, just like in any conversation that you have, if somebody were to say something against you or for you, well, maybe not for you, but against you, I certainly know that many of us would hope they would come and find out exactly why we're doing what we're doing, uh, what the decision process is, but that's hard because we don't have that opportunity, do we? But scripture tells us love believes all things, love hopes all things, and that we as believers in Jesus Christ, we can rise up above these challenges and these difficulties in being the church. We should be the light that's out there rather than the squawky beacon of, of declaring mass injustice. I, I really would encourage those who are claiming mass injustice against the church to go talk to all the different small business owners that have lost their livelihood and are in massive debt. And they've got nothing that they can do. There's no disparity, brothers and sisters. So let's, let's pull back from the rhetoric that happens because our lives have been forcibly changed because of what is called a pandemic. And let's start to look at what Jesus did concerning the law and get his view tonight. So Matthew 5, 17 through 20. Go ahead and turn there if you're not there already. And this is the next section concerning his discourse on the Sermon on the Mount. He says this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same, will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. 
For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So there's some key points that we want to look at tonight from this scripture. Number one, Jesus himself says that he did not come to abolish the law. He did not come to strike down the law. He did not come to rid Israel of the law. So what does this mean? What doesn't it mean? Well, many people want to disregard the law out of the Old Testament and devalue it. And they want to be able to say that this passage speaks uh, uh, in certain ways, in a misinterpreted way, permission to either rally behind the law or get rid of it, or they disregard the passage altogether. Jesus himself says he did not come to abolish the law, and yet we see later on in Scripture, and even from Jesus himself, the criticisms of those who hyper-used the law, those who manipulated the law for their own personal gain. And Jesus definitely speaks out about that. We'll mention that in a minute. Jesus came to fulfill the law. Did you hear that in there? That he came to fulfill the law. Within the Old Testament law that God gave the people, the Pentateuch, it's in the first five chapters of, of your Bible. The, the, the law was created because God's people needed some kind of systematic way to figure out what was justice, what was good, what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and to measure themselves by, whereby they could understand when they needed to repent, what was sin, what was not sin. And so the Lord gives them the law. Remember when when Moses goes up and he gets the Ten Commandments, then he gives through Moses and through Aaron and, and through the priests uh, a lot more law. A lot more law. And we're going to give you a little breakdown of that in a little bit. But Israel operated under three aspects of law. The, the civil, uh, the ceremonial, and the moral. And we're going to have to show you what those are so you can understand how to interpret this properly and how it informs us today here in Concord or, or wherever you're from, how do we live under those laws that we see as either fair or unfair? What is our responsibility as the church, as those who claim Jesus? Well, Jesus says in this same statement, he didn't come to abolish, he didn't come to get rid of it, but he came to what? Fulfill it. So he's painting the law as a positive. He's painting the law as something necessary. Where what we see so much in Scripture as you work through the New Testament, you see individuals that want to, to disregard the grace of Jesus Christ, the economy of Jesus, and hold on to the systematized formation of the law. And you see Paul, you see John, you see Peter, you see Jesus over and over and over again address this issue saying that the law is imperfect the law pointed to christ as the culmination and the fulfillment of that law so he didn't come to abolish the law because the law was good and necessary but instead what he's saying is i came to fulfill it so everything that the law was about i am about does that make sense Rather than say, well, the law is bad because Jesus replaced the law, that's not what Jesus is saying. The law was imperfect. It had not yet 
crescendoed is probably a great word to understand here. It not yet crescendoed into being everything God had for us. And now it's my responsibility to help you understand that. Because many of us like the law, right? You, 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 any of you list people out there? You like things to be orderly. You like things to be neat and tightly packaged. You're the one that says, uh, how come my coworker is five minutes late from lunch? Right? You get upset when somebody goes speeding by you on the freeway, right? You tighten the, the grip on the steering wheel, they're breaking the law, right? So what do we do about that spiritually? Well, Jesus emphasizes the whole law, not the traditions of the Pharisees. In the intertestamental period, the synagogues and the rabbis started up. So after the Old Testament is completed, there's about a 300-year period in there where what happens is the, the, the Pharisees, the, the, the priests, the religious uh, leaders of Israel formed the rabbinic tradition. During the rabbinic tradition, what happens is they took what may have been about this big that we see as a, a, a magnanimous amount of law, and they extrapolated it out to be this gigantic gigantic thing that 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 was the law Jesus is is chastising the Pharisees over it's those parts of the law that have been manipulated that have been changed really had nothing to do with God's commands God's benefits and welfare for mankind but it was man changing the law extrapolating it and adding to it for their own benefit and their own power structure and this is where you see Jesus over and over in his ministry confront the religious leaders who wanted to play the law card. So Jesus is emphasizing the whole law. Jesus is addressing the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and dealing with their manipulations. In essence, that's exactly what this passage is about. If you want to drill down and, and nail it down to a, 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 a synth, synthesized uh, hypothesis statement, it would be confronting the Pharisees before they threw it down, right? He gets out in front of all these accusations and all these arguments and all these conflations that are going to happen between him and the religious leaders. And what he's saying is using a, a, a literary feature called hyperbole. When he talks about the least and the greatest and the greatest and the least, what happened is the Pharisees wanted to pretend they wanted to act like they were so righteous. They were keepers. They were the stewards of the law, right? And yet Jesus was calling them out on their other sins. That they would allow themselves, the breaking of the other laws, the things that they would permit themselves access to or deny themselves uh, the requirements that they placed on the same people. We see that, that we call that corruption, right? We usually see it within our politicians. And so Jesus is calling them out on that using hyperbole when he's talking about <clears throat> the greatest and the least. He says, therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments, right? So they, they would put degrees on the law. And so the Pharisees would make excuses for their choices, their behavior, their, their, their temple actions and choices. And they would excuse it as it's, it's really not that important piece of the law. And yet they would take something else when it worked to their advantage and to their political abilities and their power, and they would extrapolate it out and build it up and use it against the people to control the people. Does that sound like politics? And so Jesus is saying, I'm not having any of it. And he's saying, you want to be in the kingdom of heaven. 
You keep the whole law. You keep the whole law. It says, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Those are throwdown words. Those are challenging words. And we hear a lot of that rhetoric today in our society, do we not? It was all over the news last night about what's going to happen um, if, if our president or the Senate tries to confirm a new Supreme Court justice, right? How many of you have heard, heard some of this rhetoric that's out there already? As a matter of fact, one person says we should burn down Congress. This is where we're at at this point, folks. That if something doesn't fit our narrative, and this is what Jesus is addressing. He's addressing the hypocrisy. And there is plenty of hypocrisy to go around on both sides of whatever aisle you're looking at. Most politicians are corrupt to the core because they've tasted power and they will do anything to hold their power. The reason I go that far to, 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 to lead you into that is to help you understand what Jesus is facing here and why he's saying what he's saying. Because the scribes and the Pharisees had built their system up so wonderfully to their advantage that they had manipulated and coerced the law. And they were hypocrites, and Israel knew it. And Jesus was reminding them, we need to change the law. I have come to not abolish it because we need this, you need this, but I'm now going to fulfill it. I'm going to complete it. It's maybe a better rendering of what we should understand with that. So let's look at a couple things. I, I want you to walk away with this idea tonight. Jesus completes and transcends the law. If you want to synthesize one cogent thought around this passage, it's that. Jesus completes and he transcends the law. And now it's my responsibility to help take you through what does that mean to us? Why is that important? Let's look at the royal law. Turn to James 2.8. And hopefully the pandemic hasn't made you lose your Bibles. James 2.8. So James reminds us about the royal law. Do we remember what the royal law is? Right? Connected to Israel, connected to the Shema, connected to the Old Testament. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your what? Love your neighbor as yourself. We see a lot of that going on all over the news, don't we? <laughs> We're just rife with that. But maybe we need to be. And we have a fertile ground to demonstrate that love. And it's happening, brothers and sisters. The church is mobilizing these hot spots. And they're going out with the message of love. And change is happening. Are you excited about that? And we're going to talk about that as far as our focus on outreach this coming month as well. So he says this in James 2, 8, If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing well. Good. Good. You're making the right efforts. That's good for you. Then he says, but if you show partiality, 
Does that sound a little bit like what we're hearing all around us today? The frustration, the anger that there's partiality? James says, if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. James is saying that that law still informs us of God's righteousness. That law is not gone, it's just fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Then he doubles down, he says this, forever who keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. So if we think we're doing really good with the law, right? Hey, I haven't committed adultery. Hey, I didn't murder anybody. Um, hey, I haven't lied recently. Except I just lied, so now I've lied. I'm pretty good when it comes to the, 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 the Ten Commandments. You know your pastor struggles with coveting? Every Sunday that I've been inside that church, I covet this moment right here. Every Sunday I'm separated from you, I covet the opportunity to be back together with you. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm soft-selling it a little bit. There's other things I truly do covet, and I have to check myself. But what... What James is saying is if, if I allow myself to covet and I excuse it, guess what? I'm just as guilty as if I committed adultery. I'm just as guilty as if I, I worship other gods. You're com you are guilty of the whole law if you break one part of the law. So we, we tend to segment our sin and tend to say, hey, I'm doing pretty good when it comes to the law. But James is saying, rethink that. So then he says, um, for he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. That's what Jesus adds to the law. That's how the law is fulfilled. The law in the Old Testament was restrictive. It was all about what you can't do. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. But under Jesus, and here we start to unpack this a little bit, Jesus brings this sense of taking all that was good, all that was moving us towards righteousness, and it, it blows it up to the point of saying, now I move forward, I stop worrying about what not to do, and in Jesus, all I focus on is what I should do in Christ. When I'm focusing on what I should do in Christ, that includes, by proxy, what the law stated. He completes it by saying this, For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. May that be our reputation in the coming months. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. How many of you have heard that? It's a statement out of Mark. And so when we look at this idea of Jesus completes and transcends the law and, and wacky laws, there were multiple times where Jesus was taken to task by these Pharisees. So here he preaches it at the beginning of his, his ministry because he knows what's going to happen. He knows the way he will operate transcends what the law will hold people back because of their inability to understand how the law really works. And so he heals a man. You remember the story? He heals a man in a synagogue. And all these, these spiritual leaders are upset. They're sideways. You can't do that. And yet how many of us would be watching from the sidelines, scratching our heads saying, 
wait a minute, this is a good thing. This is who God is. Why are we, why are we so concerned about a law? And, and yet what happens is we get so focused on a law that's imperfect, we forget about the goodness of who God is. We forget about the righteousness of the one who gave the law. So Jesus himself does some corrective teaching. He starts redacting the law, so to speak. He goes through an amendment of the Sabbath law. And then he gives this instruction later on. Look, Sabbath was made for the man, not man for the Sabbath. And I have to share with you, honestly, folks, this is one of the worst offenses that is killing us. We wonder why we're stressed out. We're wondering why we have so much anxiety. We wonder why um, <laughs> we're emotional wrecks. We do not rest like God rests. God took a whole day to rest. And yet, for some reason, we think we're more powerful than God is. Our society, just going back 60, 70 years, Everything was closed on a Sunday. Are any of you able to remember that? Now, the last, the last anchor went over the boat, right? It used to be when I was growing up, you never played sports on Sunday. Now, they, they don't care. They actually try to schedule as many sports as possible on Sunday so that your families are disjointed and so that... You're not able to be resting. And we have disregarded this command. This command was put in for us to benefit. And yet we find it inconvenient. Yet how often this week have you said, I wish I had a nap? God knew what he was doing when he gave us the law. Now, when you sit down and you say, well, you, uh, you're breaking the Sabbath because you're doing, you walk too far today, Jesus. Uh, your disciples broke the Sabbath because they took grains of, of wheat and they were, as they were walking through a field and fed themselves. Jesus, what are you doing? You're breaking the law. And this is where Jesus comes and corrects and amends their thinking, saying, you have extrapolated from the law what the law never intended. And I'm going to give you liberty in this law. I'm going to complete it because I transcend the law. So... The Sabbath was made for man, not man with the Sabbath. That's an illustration of it. The challenge of working through reform was tough in the early church. <clears throat> what do we need to reform today, and how long will it take? We'll always be trying to correct the laws that are on the books, won't we? Because we're always pivoting. Our society is always changing, and, and, and the, the mark of what is good, the mark of what is true, is always moving all over the place. It's dynamic, but with God... That mark of justice, that mark of righteousness, never moves. It is a steady north. Amen? And so that's why there's freedom in Christ. You don't have to worry about, well, well what am I supposed to hold to today? What, what is have, How many of us, rhetorical, don't raise your hands, don't spew anything out, but how many of us have gotten frustrated because the new dynamic has changed and wants to change everything we grew up with and everything we held on to and is completely disregarding what we thought was what society would find reasonable under the law and it will change again and it will change again but the beauty of what jesus brings 
is consistency and freedom, and that's why he transcends the law. That's why he says, I didn't come to abolish the law. You need law. I don't need law, says Jesus, but you need law, but I'm going to give you freedom beyond what the law could ever do for you. So we have this challenge and we're wondering, when are we ever going to get our laws right? When are we going to have the perfect administration that's going to fix everything? When are we going to um, have a, a, a legislature that doesn't need two different parties, but they can all come together and work in harmony? Brothers and sisters, one of the reasons that we have a challenge, where is it that we have the highest form of this in our country? It's the Supreme Court, is it not? You go and stand outside the Supreme Court, Lady Justice has what across her eyes? A blindfold. Somebody say mascara. Just checking. Lady Justice has a blindfold over her eyes. Why? Because justice should be blind to all of these other particular influences that form our opinions. And so much of the time when the, when the justice's rule is called a what? An opinion. The Supreme Court just ruled on churches in Nevada, a case coming out of Nevada, where a church came up and said it's unconstitutional for the governor of Nevada to allow, all right? So he, he hands out a mandate, it's law, they have to operate by it. They're saying you're allowing the casinos to have much more people gathered than you're allowing our church to have gathered, and that's impen uh, impinging on our ability to come together and worship. And we believe that's discrimination. Well, they lost. They lost in a five to four. Wait a minute. I thought justice was blind. Why is it we would ever have a different vote? Why would we not always have a unanimous vote if justice is blind? Because we're people. And no matter how much we want to say that, that we, I, myself, can determine what is right and what is good and what is just, I will have my failures, I will have my manipulations, and I'll have my opinions. That's why Jesus is so freeing when it comes to figuring out all of this. Because the other part is exhausting, my friends. It is absolutely exhausting, and this is nothing new. Ecclesiastes tells us that there's nothing new under the sun, correct? These uprisings and these differences have always happened throughout the history of mankind. So let me give you the three ideas of what the law was. One was ceremonial. And, and the book of Hebrews helps answer why this is no longer needed. So if you want to do an in-depth study, go to the book of Hebrews, read through it. Jesus now acts as that high priest. There's no longer the need for the sacrifices of, of goats and bulls because his blood was a sufficient offering once and for all. Amen? And so he abolishes, now, see, I just used the word that he said I, I didn't come to abolish, but yet he has now taken away and completed, that's the better way to say it, he has completed all of the ceremonial laws that were laid down about sacrifices. Those are no longer needed because Jesus completed the sacrifice. So got that part? That part is no longer applicable. What about the civil law? Israel was called out as a different nation. Because they were called out as a different nation, God said, you are my people, I will be your God, and I will administrate over you how to live, what is fair and what is just. And so he gave a bunch of what are called the torts um, and things that have to do with 
living together in community and regulating fairness. So what happens is that that civil law, there's no longer a need for that because Israel is not, now all you dispensationalists out there, I apologize ahead of time. All right, but I'm gonna cite scripture here. Galatians 3.28, as a matter of fact, turn there if you've got your scripture. Galatians 3.28, <clears throat> this is in response to the completion of the civil law that existed in the Pentateuch. And 3.28 says this, I'll back it up to 26. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ and have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And so there's no longer a need for a specific group of people called out from the rest of the world because through Christ, everything was opened up to all the nations. And so there's no longer a requirement to live under a specified set of rules uh, uh, according to God's people in the civil law. Now, the moral law, the Ten Commandments, are repeated over and over and over in the New Testament. Jesus affirms them. The disciples affirm them. The writers affirm them over and over. I can make a couple cases for this real simply. Um, John himself says that if you hate your brother, you have what? You've committed murder, right? So not just even the act of murder itself, but hate. And uh, Paul talks about long lists of things that are sins that such were some of you, right? Adultery, lying, covetousness. Uh, Peter does the same thing. Jesus himself did the same thing. Again, all pointing to the moral law. So the moral law was affirmed we can look back to that as a guideline as to the character of God and God's goodness given to us as guidelines on how to live life. Now, Jesus transcends that. He takes that moral law and helps us live even more above the law because Jesus helps us do the right thing, the righteous thing, because of our love for goodness, our love for righteousness. So let me transition. We've, we've made a case for what's been stated. How do we apply that? Let's put a, a, a current real life scenario uh, for us to examine and contemplate um, from a spiritual context. Let me ask this question. Okay, I'm, I'm gonna get myself in a heap of trouble right now. You ready? All right. Should Joe, no, I'm just kidding. I'm trying to scare Joe. Should churches follow the state and county mandates on regulating meetings? Let's just solve that right here, right now. Now, everybody's really paying attention. I wish you could see your faces. This is really good. Alan, go ahead and cut the feed for the next five, 10 minutes. I'm just kidding. Don't do that. So some people say that our governors don't have the right. That's not true. Let me just solve that for you right now. 10th Amendment stipulates that the states have the rights and the governors have the right to give mandates and the structures of those mandates are executed or uh, however you would say that uh, through the different offices that apply to whatever crisis is in front of us. So it speaks to the 10th Amendment. 
Uh, one of the things that I absolutely love that's in the rhetoric that's all around you right now, and, and maybe some of you agree, so don't throw your shoes at my head, um, but if I'm going to be brave enough to postulate this idea, I'm, I'm just crazy enough to say this thing. Uh, just in the past 24 hours, I've heard over the radio, just driving around, um, how uh, our president is at fault for every death from coronavirus in the United States. And it's all his fault. Last time I checked, it's the state governors that are given the freedom to choose what they're... Now, some of you are like already barking back at me in your heads, okay? Just let me help you out for a second. I'm trying to make a point about state governors. And so we can't have it both ways. We can't have to appeal to a law that's given down according to the 10th Amendment that says our governors do have the right to regulate their own states and then crack back and try to blame everything on the federal government, whether your president's name starts with a T or a B coming up in X amount of months. You cannot come correct, you cannot come righteous, and you cannot say without ultimate hypocrisy of the Pharisees and the Sadducees that governors have the right to, according to the 10th commandment, commandment, yeah, I'm mixing, mixing things up here. The 10th amendment uh, to administrate their states and then say, well, it's the federal government that's responsible to do all those things. I'm just speaking to those, those specifics. So to put down some of the rhetoric, Hopefully that clarifies some of what you're hearing out there. Yes, our local governors, each state governor has the right and the responsibility to care for their state as they deem necessary, okay? Now, what's interesting is I mentioned that um, case that just came out in Nevada, right? So let me read to you the opinion that came down from the uh, Supreme Court. So the Supreme Court, the dissenting opinion, which is the opinion or the explanation written by the group that did not win the decision, all right? These were Justices Alito, uh, Clarence Thomas, Brent Kavanaugh. They write this in context to this case that just happened. Does the governor have the right to regulate businesses and churches and schools according to their own discretion. And so it was five to four in favor of the state. And this is the dissenting opinion. A public health emergency does not give governors and other public officials carte blanche to disregard the constitution for as long as the medical problem persists. So that's what almost half of your Supreme Court justices stated, which is just reflective of the fact of where our nation is on this subject, right? We're immensely divided on it. What is right? What is just? Boy, I wish you could see how uncomfortable all of you are on me speaking on this. I'm having a blast up here. This is so much fun. Um, I just wanted to come to church and hear about Jesus. You are. You are, and, and you're hearing about Jesus in the context of how are you going to handle yourself over the next four to six weeks? Because it's our responsibility to be Jesus over these next four to six weeks, amen? 
Oh, I didn't get any. Amen. I heard one from the back. Thank you, Marianne. Wow. My offense level must be at 11 right now. So what do we do? Well, Paul gives us some insight. By the way, how would these justices say, how would they have the continuity to say that this is unjust by the state of Nevada? One of the thoughts that's been in my mind recently, and I, I can't resolve it, so I just stop because I can't resolve it. Why is it we're getting such conflicting messages? Why is it the data is so conflicting? Why is it there's inconsistency in how all of this is being handled? And to me, one of the greatest inconsistencies is pretty simple. How many of you heard about the Asian flu? 57, 58? Any of you? So 1.1 million people died from that. So, uh, Lyndon, you were, you were around in 57, 58? Yeah. Did they, uh, did they shut down the schools nope. for, for the Asian flu? Did they close businesses for the Asian flu? No. Now, now, some of you are working up your defense right now in your minds. It's so fun to watch you. But let's not stop at the Asian flu, because maybe we messed that one up. Maybe 1.1 million people didn't have to die, right? So maybe we looked at that, and maybe we figured out, oh, we made all the wrong decisions. Well, let's bring around the Hong Kong flu, all right, which was in 1970. Anybody around in 1970? Anybody remember the Hong Kong flu? Okay. Anybody venture to guess how many people died from the Hong Kong flu? One million people. Do you remember shutting businesses down in the 1970s? Do you remember shutting down churches in the 1970s? This is why we have the discourse that we have. And I understand that there are those out there that want to argue this is much more serious. This is like nothing we've ever seen. You know, when I lean forward like this, I'm going to make a point, right? <laughs> I want you to really pay attention to this. This is not something to disregard. There are individuals that have lost their lives because of COVID. We have people in this church that have had family members lose their lives because of COVID. So can we please act like Christ and be sensitive and caring and compassionate. Remember, mercy rules over justice. At the same time, I will tell you that the cases that pastors are seeing, that hospitals are seeing, are exponentially larger when it comes to issues of suicide because of the shadow of COVID. That counseling that I'm taking on right now because of marriages that are in crisis because of the pressures of COVID are multiple, multiplied out. And that's being disregarded. It's talked about, every once in a while it's talked about, but there's no effort to resolve the exponential level of destroyed lives 
and moments we can never get back or people we can never get back because we're trying to do the right thing to care for people and not see death. Do you understand? We're a fallible people and we're trying to do our best. And when we meet it with that kind of compassion, when someone's not coming with a level of manipulation or egregious effort for self-promotion, this is where we exercise peace. This is where we exercise mercy. This is where we exercise the comfort of love to one another. Now, in closing, let me share with you real quickly. We have a problem. We have, quote unquote, something that's going through and, and it is killing people, but it is changing and things are changing. And God is still God. And there has been a huge ramification to families being forcibly unable to get out, forcibly unable to access those things that bring them encouragement on emotional, psychological, physical, and spiritual levels. It's having an immense adverse effect. And your elders at this church are wrestling right now. How do we help our congregation and the world around us? How do we do that in light of obeying what's been asked of us? And I'll give you a little teaser. How we've handled things to this point has been doing the most that we possibly can to serve you and to encourage you spiritually and still fall in line with the conditions given by our county and by our state. Because we want to be of the reputation that we are fully committed to the whole counsel of God, which has everything to do with obey your government. But there are parts where Jesus says even to Pilate, you have no authority other than that which is given to you from my Father in heaven. And so as the elders are wrestling with this idea this coming week, pray for us. Pray that as we seek to lead you and we have to make some choices coming up because the weather's changing. But there is a big path of destruction that has happened because of this that needs ministering to. And there's something great and powerful about being together. You know, I've changed what I've been saying like five times because I can see your eyes. I know whether or not I'm communicating properly or whether you're sad about what I said or whether you want me to vote Democrat. See, I never would have heard that laugh if we'd just be doing broadcasts. <laughs> Paul says this in closing, Galatians 2, you can turn there if you want. Galatians 2, 17 through 21, he talks about the law and he talks about Christ. And I think this is the best place for us to land, folks, is to see how it is that Jesus actually completes and transcends the goodness of the law. He says this, if while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, 
I prove I am a lawbreaker. In other words, Paul's saying, if I go back to living under the law, which I put that away, that's not what God wants. But if I start to try to rebuild that, then, then I'm guilty of the very thing that I say is wrong. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. And here it is. Many of you will recognize this. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. That surmises the whole text tonight. Let me repeat that and then I'll close. If I, do not set as, if I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. God gave the law so we might know what sin is. That's why you have a current law. The early church didn't get to regulate what the Romans set down on them. They didn't get to regulate what the Pharisees and the scribes set down on them. And some of those laws were tremendously unfair and not right. And at a certain point, you can read in Acts, Peter says to the Pharisees, we will not stop preaching about Jesus Christ. But I would say to you on this subject, we've never stopped preaching Christ, have we? Now, there have been Sundays where we have not met face to face, but we have never stopped preaching Christ. And so if we can do that, and if we can present the safest, the highest reward for the lowest risk, that's what your elders want to do here. But we always want to be pointing to Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. Let me leave you with this final thought. Jesus completes the deficiencies of what the law fails to do. Remember this, let Jesus Christ determine the whole law and live in that. Let me pray over the conclusion of that. And then I'm going to have David come lead us in prayer. Father, thank you for this passage tonight. In a time where the appeal of the law is so confusing. Where so many individuals in our nation want to take the law into their own hands. They want to rewrite the law. They want to disregard the law. And in some ways, for good reason, because the law is not just in some ways. But that's where your son brought us hope. That where the, where the law is insufficient, your son has made it complete and there is freedom in your law. So that when those injustices happen to us, I don't have to lean on my government. I don't have to lean on, on uh, society. I lean into grace. And I am fully satisfied. That is the freedom. I pray for our church that as these next upcoming weeks befall us, that we would be that living representation of who Jesus is. Thank you, Father. To you be all glory. Amen.